Well, I just want to say uh, what a joy it is to be here in this circle today again and to have the chance to continue the conversation that we've been having over many weeks now on the subject of relationships. Uh, relationships are the greatest prize of life. Uh, that may not always be clear to us in the midst of the toughest part of relationships, uh, but certainly by the end of our journey, we're going to look back and realize that relationships were our greatest wealth. They were the place where we had the chance to leave the biggest mark. They were the thing that drew us closest in character to God. And so from time to time, it just helps to stop in the rush of life and just think about how are our relationships going? Uh, how are we participating in them? Are there places where we've settled for too low a standard in our own engagement with relationships? How do we move from just merely regular or, or worse to truly remarkable relationships as God has desired for us to do, as Jesus came to pattern for us, and as the scriptures are full of so much teaching about? So we've been looking, uh, we've been breaking it down into kind of component parts and trying to fine tune and to, and to build up our skills and understanding of how to do relationships even better. And today I want to think about uh, one of the most important practices in the relationship life. Uh, and I want to do uh, it by way, first of all, of telling a little story. I, I heard a story about a, uh, a doctor and a lawyer and a preacher who uh, were good friends and went out on a hunting trip together. They were going deer hunting. They got into position in the woods. Uh, they, they settled in. They, they, they were vigilant. And, and no sooner had they really gotten there than this massive buck with a huge rack of antlers comes walking right across uh, the ground in front of them. And they just gasped and somehow pulled themselves together, raised their guns, and blam, simultaneously all shot at the deer. The great buck uh, fell to the ground. Uh, they jumped up from where they were. They rushed over to see just how big uh, this magnificent prize was. And when they got there, they found themselves confronted with a serious problem, a real dilemma. They had all shot at the same time. How would they figure out who had felled the deer? Who got the prize? Well, being people used to getting their own way, remember there's a doctor, a lawyer, and a preacher, uh, they began to argue, and, and it became quite heated. And they're in the middle of this argument when along comes a, a game warden. Thank goodness, actually. And she walks up to them and says, gents, what seems to be the problem here? And the lawyer explains, we're in a debate. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out who it is that shot this, this deer. And the doctor chimes in and says, I'm, pretty, I'm a guy of surgical precision. I'm pretty sure I did that. And the game warden said, well, I, I can help with that. And, and she walks up and she studies the, the scene very carefully. And then she says, it was the preacher. It was the preacher that shot it. And they said, how can you tell? And she said, well, it, it's very obvious. She said the, the shot went in one ear and out the other had to have been the preacher. <laughs> this is the fear that preachers have, honestly. Um, they were up here doing a lot of gabbing and that it, and it might just not stick for people. That it might not just register, that it might not really be heard in, in the deepest sense. The message, the, the help and the hope that 
that we as preachers are trying to, to convey. But you know, that's not just a problem that I think preachers deal with. I think all of us can probably relate to that. Uh, all of us who are trying to convey uh, a, a key message to uh, a fellow a coworker or em employer or employee who, as we're trying to pass on key uh, wisdom in, in our relationships with our spouses or our kids or our parents or our friends, uh, it can sometimes feel like what we're saying just goes in one ear and out the other or never hits the target at all. Have you ever uh, felt like that was the case in any of your relationships? Well, I was going to touch on this morning, and we'll probe even further next week, um, the core of the difficulties we sometimes have in our relationships is due to a failure of communication. And at the root of that failure of communication is often the trouble that we have with truly really, actually listening to each other. Deeply listening to each other. Jesus um, once said, uh, and I quote him here, consider carefully how you listen. And as we talked about last week, when you see that word consider in the scriptures, it, it means uh, really get inside how it is that you are doing something, how you uh, listen in this case. Uh, what Jesus was trying to communicate in so many different settings uh, was that, that if we want a really remarkable relationship with God or a really remarkable relationship with the people around us, then how we listen is a big piece of that. Uh, in fact, six times in the Gospels, Jesus suggests it's not just enough to have ears all of us have got ears. Uh, you have to have ears to hear, said Jesus. You have to have ears that are really listening. Um, and what I think he's getting at in that particular teaching, and as I said, he gives it multiple times, is that a lot of the time when we appear to be listening to somebody else, we're not really listening. Um, we seem to be all engaged, but we actually have huge holes in our hearing. Now, I don't know about for you, but I will tell you that for me, listening is hard. Um, it, it's hard. There are a variety of reasons for that. One of it is there's just, there's just so many messages, right? I mean, you're just being, you're being pinged on your phone. You know, the messages are screaming through the TV uh, screen. The, the billboards are there. There are people always talking at us. I mean, you know, how do you tune in? How do you, how do you not get fragmented and distracted by just all of the noise that's out there? Another reason why listening is difficult is because, um, well, frankly, the human mind works faster than the human tongue. And, and sometimes when somebody's talking to you, it's maybe going on right now as you're listening to me or trying to listen to me, you know, your mind races ahead. You know, I bring up, I, you're listening to somebody talking about, um, you know, their mother and you suddenly start thinking, oh, my, how, I wonder how my mom's doing. I wonder if I wrote her that thank you note for that gift she sent me. You know, I wonder if there are any sales at the mall today after church. Um, I could maybe send something to my mom, right? You're going through this cascade of associations and traveling all over with your thoughts as the guy up here or whoever you're talking to is just kind of yammering on, right? This happens all the time for all of us, this kind of free association. 
So, so what do we do about this? Um, how, do we, how do we handle this? Well, this pattern of, um, of appearing to listen when really our mind is going elsewhere, I call bobblehead listening. Bobblehead, because you know, somebody's talking and we're going, hmm, yeah, hmm, hmm, and, but, but inside, we've just totally zoned out. People would actually be shocked to know all the things that are going on in our minds as they're talking at us, uh, or maybe they do know the truth. Maybe they can spot it more than we know that, that, that we're glazing over and they know you're not really listening to me. And maybe the conversation closes, not because they're done, because they know we're not really listening to them. Is this ever true of you? Does this ever happen in your life? I think that another reason we sometimes struggle to hear each other is because we have a tendency to measure our sense of satisfaction or effectiveness in a conversation by the extent to which we were able to get our message out. That was a really good talk we had. Why? Because I got to say what I wanted to say. Um, I, I, I think this pattern results in what I will call jerky microphone listening. Now, um, somebody starts talking to us and we get all preoccupied with looking for an opportunity to get the microphone back up to our mouth. And our head, as the other person is talking, starts accumulating thoughts and things that we want to say in response or that we associate with what is being talked about here. And the longer the other person talks, the more anxious we get inside, unconsciously often, we just feel the tension mounting because there's more and more stuff accumulating in our head that we're trying to assemble and get ready to, to get out when we get the time. And when somebody makes the fateful error of taking an overlong pause we grab the microphone back and we jump in with whatever our, our brilliant insight is or our argument or our better take on the subject or our correction of their viewpoint and we speak fast before the other person can jerk the microphone back. Have you ever experienced that? There's also what I call springboard listening. Springboard listening. So for all of the reasons that are described above, um, we tune in and out in a conversation when it comes to really listening deeply. And we will probably take in pieces of what the other person says. And those pieces that we take in are not because we're really trying to assemble a beautiful puzzle picture of who this other person is and how they feel at the deepest levels. You know, maybe at the beginning of our relationships, we are that attentive. Right? We just start a job, we just start dating somebody, we, we find a new friend in school, and, and we're really all in. But, but, but over time, um, it's less of that that we're doing, um, and we're listening now for pieces of information that can give us a springboard into what we would like to say next. We look like we've been attentive, um, but we pick up on something that gives us an opportunity to share our prize insight, our personal story, our opinion, our argument, whatever it is. And we think that when we go to what we're going to, they should be all ears. Because this is really interesting, what, what we're saying. I know I felt that at times. But it's weird because people are left with this strange sense that uh, because we suddenly go off in another direction, that maybe we weren't listening to them. 
You know, there's, it's, um, wow, I was, I was kind of going down this trail and then they went over here. They, they don't say this out loud, of course, but this is the feeling that goes on for them. And you can go to parties, you can go to, to gatherings of kids and, and it feels almost like everybody in the, whole, in the room is, is just springing here, there, ricocheting all over the room. It's like an adventure in non sequiturs. Everybody desperately trying to get out something about their life, about my life. And it can be really lonely <laughs> and really disconcerting. It's unsatisfying to be in a circle like that. We wonder, gosh, what's wrong with me that nobody really wants to know me? Or what's, what's wrong with them that, that it's all about them? At other times, uh, we may practice what I would term uh, confirmation hearing. Um, and this is especially common, I would suggest, when we're in conversation with people who we think we already know. Either because we've spent a lot of time with them or because we know their type. We just know their type. And the older we get, the easier it is to become like one of those partisans at a Senate confirmation hearing. Have you ever seen those on... On, uh, on TV or C-SPAN or something. These people come to these Senate confirmation hearings often with a, a, a certain agenda, a biased viewpoint. A, they're supporting you know, their, their party position on something. They have got the full dossier on this person and they know how to, to either support or challenge who that person is. They've got a mental map of that person, their position, their patterns. And, and they know all they really need to know about that person before they ever walk into the hearing room. Uh, they know all that they need in order to advance their agenda. And so we can do this sometimes. We, I think we can uh, ask these apparently curious questions about other people, but, but what we're really mainly doing is seizing on just those pieces of information that confirm what we already believe about them. Oh yeah. You're one of those people. Oh yeah, there you go again, honey. Right? We're just confirming our previous view, our current viewpoint. It just validates the assumptions we had when we entered into the conversation. Now, I am not throwing stones at you when I say this, and I know I'm, as I'm just feeling in my body what it feels like to say these things. I think I, I'm not trying to, to be critical at everybody. It's not, I will tell you though that, that, that these different ways of listening and hearing I've described, I did not read about in a book. I did not um, see it, see it um, you know, uh, described someplace else. I came up with these ways of describing it because this is my experience. This is the way I often listen. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, and I see this pattern a lot. I, I mean, I see all of these forms of listening going on in the, in the political conversations of the day, on the news programs, in the, in the little interactions that are happening, uh, in the hallways of homes and churches and businesses. Um, and I think we often get into these patterns of listening this way because this is how we've been listened to. Um, and we sort of just settle in to thinking, okay, this is how human beings communicate. But it's really exhausting and unsatisfying to keep doing this. 
Um, because everybody's out there just, you know, blowing out a lot of hot air in a sense, just puffing into the kite of the relationship, trying to get it higher. But there are these, these massive holes, these hearing holes, the, this holy, H-O-L-E dash Y, holy kind of hearing going on that, that keeps the kite of the relationship from ever gaining the altitude that we want. And so this is what we have to learn how to repair. We can't just talk faster, louder, more intensely. Uh, we can't just keep talking to ourselves or past one another. We have to do something different. So th- this is where we get some help again from, from God's word. This is where God, who is the source of relationship, the ultimate model of relationship, the biggest fan of relationship, uh, this is where he gives us some practical help in his word. And so we've been getting some mentoring over these past weeks from the apostle James. And we're gonna go back to him again today. And just to one little snippet of something that James said in his letter to the church long ago. Take note of this, writes James. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. What should they be quick to? And what should they be slower to? Yeah. Now, I'm a guy that benefits from visual aids. And so I want to give you a visual aid. Just look around you at the faces of other people. And if you're at home alone, check this out next time you're in a mirror, you're looking in a mirror. How many ears? How many mouths? Which is higher on the body? Ears. Is this practical instruction or what? I mean, could this be a clue? Could this be something God is doing to give us some um, help with this? That our highest priority needs to be to listen and that we're meant to be twice the listener as we are the talker. Um, And I, I will confess that because I do a lot of talking for a living, I probably especially need what I'm talking about here Uh, I need to migrate from a pattern of holy learning or listening to to a pattern of holy listening, of of sacred listening. And and I want to think with you today about what that might involve for all of us if we we covenanted to to try and do that more. Um, You know how sometimes when you're doing certain things, technique isn't enough? Um... How, how it just isn't, it doesn't fix anything until your heart about something changes. Um, and until you have sort of a, a, a different way of coming at something, sometimes no matter what you do, it doesn't really uh, work very, very well. And that is always true in the subject of relationships. And that is why maybe the number one thing we can do to improve in any area of our relationships, whether it's listening or or speaking or other things we've been talking about in this series, um, is to really check the heart or the viewpoint that we're bringing to the relationship in the first place. And um, I think that what we need to do first is to change the way we look at the people around us. you know, we settle into these ways of looking at the people. And the longer we live with them or work with them, the more we sort of get into this mo- mode. Um, 
C.S. Lewis, who was a, a great Christian author, he wrote the Narnia Chronicles and uh, many other great books, and he was professor at Oxford and Cambridge, a really brilliant guy, said that, that, the, that the first important step we needed to take is to realize that we are never meeting an ordinary person. That none of the people sitting around you right now or in your house or you'll run into this week is, is, is ordinary. And Lewis writes this, he says, you've never talked to an ordinary person. You've never spoken with a mere mortal. He says, nations, cultures, art, civilization, those are mortal. Those pass away. Their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, of a bug is, compared to the significance of human beings that have been created to be eternal. It is immortals, he says, with whom we joke, uh, work, marry, snub, exploit. People who are on the way to becoming immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And this is sort of a simple idea, but this is notion in life, we're, we're heading towards uh, becoming these everlasting splendors or these, or these immortal horrors. And, and it's a serious thing, he writes, to live in a society of eternal beings, as human beings created by God are eternal beings. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you talk to one day, please remember this when you're outside saying hello to me after the service, um, that person may be a creature which if you could see them now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. If you could see what they will ultimately become, right now you would be strongly tempted to start really honoring and reverencing them or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet only in a nightmare. And then he says this, this is really brilliant. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. And it is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, says Lewis, it's with the awe and the circumspection that's proper to them that we should be conducting all of our dealings with one another. All of our play, our politics, our friendships, our loves. He says our, our charity towards each other must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love uh, sinful people. Um, and I'm a sinful person like everybody else. Uh, and then he says this at the end, for next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Do you look at the people around you as if they were holy beings, eternal beings, people bound for immortal horror, everlasting splendor? As you talk with people, as you listen with people, could you imagine having that viewpoint? True story, I, I was preparing um, this message and uh, I got up from, uh, from writing and I went out to the parking lot because I'd forgotten a book in my car that I needed. And I ran into a, um, a gentleman uh, who was part of our landscaping crew I'd never met before. And he approached me and in broken English, he, he said, are you the one I've seen on TV preaching God's word? 
Are you the one on TV I've seen preaching God's word? Um, I was momentarily flattered. I thought, oh yeah, I'm that guy that sometimes does that. Um, uh, but I was in a real hurry because I was going to finish this message and I really didn't have time to get into a conversation and I was sort of in a zone, a writing zone. But I was writing this, this sermon on listening and I felt like, ah, I got I to gotta stay in this conversation. Um, so I tried to tune in to what this young man was saying. And, and it was then I discovered that that this was not going to actually be a conversation about me. It, it, it was not really that important to him that I had been the person talking. What was important to him was what I'd been talking about. I'd been talking about God, and he went on to talk to me about how Jesus was changing his life. How, how the Holy Spirit had come into his heart, how he asked Jesus into his life, and that Jesus had, had entered in and started to change stuff for him. It had started to turn his, his kind of angry personality around, he explained to me. And it had started to improve his marriage. And it had altered the way he thought about his kids and how he treated difficult people in his life. And he, and he was just glowing with this sort of newfound joy in what God can do when he enters into a life and becomes the center. And I'm this jaded old preacher listening to this guy. And I feel my own faith sort of beating to life in a deeper way again as I, I'm in the presence of this young, beautiful, pure, sincere faith of this young guy. And, and he said to me, people really need God's word. They need to hear it. You keep doing what you're doing they, because, because God can change everything when that word comes into their life. And I asked him, What's your name? And he said, I quote, I'm dead serious. I am Gabriel. And I said, oh. Like the angel, yeah. Like a messenger from God, huh? Note to self. Like he didn't disappear or anything, right? I mean, he was a real life human being. But I got the message. I got the message. I got hungry to receive the word all over again. King Solomon, one of the wisest people ever to live, made lots of mistakes, but learned things along the way, wrote the book of Proverbs, uh, the wisdom of Solomon. He was convinced that we could, couldn't really reach our, our best destination in life until we learn to stop in our tracks more often and truly listen to the wisdom that God would give us through other people. You know, there, there was the book, there was the Bible, that was the, was the first book, but, but God also would reveal his word and his will through people, through the power of his spirit moving through people. And so he writes these things. I'll just give you three, three proverbs. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Let people who are wise, people who are smart, you're probably one of them, you know a lot, add to your learning, he says. Don't figure, okay, I'm, I'm already educated. I'm, I've already learned all I need to learn about that. Keep going, he says. Let the discerning get guidance. Let people who have gotten a lot of discernment through life experience, let them seek even more guidance. 
go higher. Let the kite go higher. Then he says, listen, my child, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Parents aren't perfect. I know I'm not. But they know stuff. And, and, and even at whatever age we are, we can learn things from our parents. Listen to advice and accept instruction. Don't just let people talk at you. Take it in. Accept the instruction. And in the end, you will be wise, Solomon says. Don't think you're wise yet. You're not at the end. The goal is by the end. Be a learner now. You'll be a great wise person by the end. Do you practice this mindset? I mean, if, if I sort of got a microphone and I gave it to your best friend or your spouse or your, one of your siblings and said, you know, does this, does this pretty much describe him or her? What would they say? I'm figuring out that I have a long way to go on this stuff. I, I am discovering, however, that my worst enemies and the people that rub me the wrong way and the person who prattles on and the individual who doesn't have the degrees I have and the guy or gal below me on the org chart and the person uh, behind the counter and the children who pass through my house and the old people who don't really know how to use social media and the man with the lawn trimmer who doesn't even speak English as I speak it, these people know things I do not know. Things I need to know, I would benefit from knowing. They know things about God. They know things about life. They know things about my besetting sins because they've had a chance to observe them over the years. They know something about where joy may be found and where hope can be recovered and how to get through stuff in life that I'm gonna completely miss if I don't stop more often and stop demanding to be listened to so much and instead really listen to them. So here's my question. Who's got the wisdom that you need to become an everlasting splendor? Who's got the wisdom you need to take you higher in life? When they speak to you this week, from whatever direction they'll be coming, will you be listening? Truly listening? And, and remember, they need your listening, too. They need somebody to listen to them. So let's try this this week. Let's, let's just do an experiment over these next seven days. Let's cut in half the talking we do and double the listening. When somebody uh, speaks to us and tries to get a conversation going, let's, let's put away the distractions. Turn off the tube, close the laptop, put down the phone, uh, stop looking over their shoulder, look them in the face, give them a locked on listening gift. Uh, try and hear the emotions underneath the words. Pay attention to the body language they're using, the tone they're speaking in, and ask ourselves, what's going on here? 
Who is this person? What are they feeling? What are they experiencing? What do they know? Ask them, what do you want to tell someone? What do you dream about and hope for in life? Where are you hurting? What do you worry about? What's, what's, what's keeping you up at night? What have you experienced of God? What do you know about God? Uh, what are the truths that you know and the ideas that you have that could really make a difference if somebody listened and put them into practice? What do you think I need to take in and do differently right now as you observe my life? And how can I help you get to your desired destination? C.S. Lewis was right. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other upward or downward on this great kite flight we call life. And the good news is, today is a new day. The good news is there's a grace greater than the gravity of our past performance on this stuff. And new things are possible because of God's grace. So everywhere you go from here, let's together remember, we're going to be meeting immortal beings. People so precious to God, so important to life on this planet, that Jesus came and gave his life on a cross for their forgiveness and their redemption to show how much they matter to him. So the question is, will you be just another one of those regular people with holes in their hearing that others are used to meeting? Or will you be a surprising presence, one of those remarkable people whose love is known by the truly holy way that you listen to them. What will it be for you and for me? Let's pray together. God, you're the most brilliant, wisest intelligence anywhere. We don't even understand the hem of the garment of your brilliance. But just guessing at how much you know, how much of value and wisdom you had to say when you walked the streets and the hallways of this world, it just blows us away to consider how time and time again you stopped to offer people the gift of your total presence with them. You asked them questions. You invited them to tell their stories. You cared to truly listen. Help us to become more like you. Less like us, more like you. And believing that it's still through the power of hearing that two can become one, we recovenant today we promise again today with you and for the sake of our relationships to become better listeners. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you.